Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which Chess Life editor John Hartman goes more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karyanis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Welcome to the April edition of One Move at a Time. Our guest today is International Master Greg Shahadi, who founded the U.S. Chess School in 2006 that is resuming classes this year in a victory for a post-COVID world. He also founded the New York Masters and the U.S. Chess League, which is now known as the Pro Chess League. He is a former member of the executive board of the U.S. Chess Federation. Greg has won three national scholastic championships. He tied for first in both the 1993 National Junior High Championship and the 1996 National High School Championship, and outright won the 1996 U.S. Junior Open. He is also a winner of the prestigious Samford Fellowship, annually awarded by the U.S. Chess Trust to the top U.S. prospect under the age of 25. He won that in 1999. His dad is FIDE master Michael Shahadi, and his sister Jennifer is a two-time U.S. women's champion in her own right, and our U.S. Chess Women's Program Director. Greg Shahadi, welcome to the One Move at a Time podcast. Thanks, really exciting to be here. I didn't know I won three. I forgot about the Junior Open, so that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So most people haven't even won a local club tournament, and you're forgetting about national championships you've won? (laughs) Well, you know, I I played in it to get to the Junior Close. That was the whole goal. And then I would have made it by rating anyway, but I didn't know that. Okay. I've never even won a, a chess trophy of any sort. So. Right. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's soon. This is in a world uh-huh. of participation trophies. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, well, I want to talk a little bit about your chess history. Um, it's not uncommon these days to grow up in a chess family, but a chess family that is so accomplished, Fide Master as a dad, I am for the brother, women's champion as for the sister. Talk, talk about what that life was like growing up. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's the only life I've known. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to be in a not chess family. Um, back when I wasn't really even playing, like I always knew the rules when I was like a kid, you know, but I think my version of knowing the rules was stronger than like other kids who kind of just learned the rules and knew how to play because I was constantly like just sparring with my mom and my dad, you know, but they would have tournaments at the house where they would just play like all the best players in Philadelphia would just come by and play like little round robin blitz tournaments. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was like six years old or something, but I mean, I probably being around that action all the time. And I was curious kid. I was always like trying to like mess around with chess pieces and chess books. So 
I think I got like a little chess education before I actually even tried to. Because um, I, 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 my first tournament was like fourth grade, which is like really, really late these days for, you know, for the top kids. But back then it was pretty early. So it's funny how the, the rules have changed a bit. So did your dad, was this just a fait accompli that you and Jennifer were going to be chess players or did? No, no, it was kind of an accident. Well, I don't know, <laughs> but like I kind of got into chess on there. Okay. There was an event in middle school. There was like a chess club and I decided to go, I, I think like they weren't trying to push me into it, but then I went to like this chess club at my school and I was fourth grader and it went up to eighth grade. And I don't even remember asking like my parents about it or them pushing me to go. I just went. And the first day I went, I beat everybody. Like they all just lined up to play me. They're like, who is this like little child who's just beating us all? Um, and at that moment I was hooked. I was like, oh, I'm actually like good at this. <laughs> I mean, like on a level where like, I'm, I'm, it wasn't normal for me, like just random young child to just be beating older kids at things. And they're like all, they're like in awe of me. They're like, I'm some kind of chess God. And I like that feeling. And I think at that point, you know, my dad's a very serious chess player. So he like took me to a tournament. The school had like a chess club and they knew about chess tournaments. And so I started to play and, you know, take it seriously. I had a lot of fun playing. So it just kind of went from there. And then, you know, Jen got into it later. I have to assume your dad was your chess coach for a long time. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, he also would, you know, have like, he would pay for other coaches too when I got stronger. But I mean, he, he taught me a lot, um, a lot of things when I was younger. How old were you the first time you beat him? Oh, gosh, you know, you know, it, it, what does beat mean? Like a blitz game or a slow game? You know? well, let, let, yeah, let's call it a slow I mean, game. I don't know the answer regardless of the question. Um, because, you know, eventually you, you get to a point where it just happens. Like, let's say I'm 1800, right? Like, I'm going to beat them sometimes. Uh, and then it's not just once. It'll happen, like, multiple times. So, yeah, I don't really remember. Because probably he also did the thing where he, like, let me win or wouldn't play that hard against me sometimes. And you're Jennifer's big brother, not her little brother, right? Yeah, I'm two years older. And what ugh, I've got to imagine the competition between the two of you must have been intense or was it more uh, completely of let's help each other out? You may have to ask her (laughs) sometimes competition. Um, But you know, it was like we had weird trajectories where she got into it a little later. So like by the time she started taking it serious, I was already like really like high, like 23 something. And she was like 1500. So there was like a period, a, like a large period of our youth where it wasn't competitive just because of the gap and when we started to take chess seriously. Um, so it was kind of like a more of a rooting thing. I was like, oh my gosh, like my sister might actually become like really good at chess too. That's cool. And so I was just rooting for her to make expert and master. Oh, and also we were in a high school trying to win the national high school championship <laughs> she didn't list that one <laughs> but that was the because we did win my senior year and for that i needed her to be as like we needed her to be as strong as possible right like she was the key key player on the team and i think i think that year she was like about master so like that was really really 
helpful and we won the championship. So I'd say it's like more of like a team type thing, although we did have our competitive moments. Well, let's let's pivot to the U.S. chess school because that's actually why I reached out to you. I, I saw an email come through that uh, you're resuming it this, this uh, I guess, late spring, early, early summer. Although... Before we go on any more further, we've been doing it for the last two years online. So we've been having regular classes nonstop throughout the pandemic. Uh, early in the pandemic, we would have like 80 to 100 of the top kids in the country showing up. Now that things are going on and school's in session, it's more like 30 per class, but it's still, you know, really strong coaches, really strong players. But yes. Well, take, take us, th- yeah, take us through the history. What, what was the, uh, the, 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 the germ of the idea? And, you know, and, and what's, who's going to be participating this year? Um, the, like, so where, when did it begin and why did it begin? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's start there. Well, you know, I thought it would have been a really cool thing to have existed when I was a kid um, playing chess and it kind of didn't exist. You know, it's regular top level classes for strong players. They would, they would have like these little things every now and then, but I wanted something like really consistent. And, and like exclusive, but also inclusive. Like, um, so I just decided to put it together. You know, at the time I was playing poker, I had a lot of free time and I was doing well financially. And I thought I could just make this happen. And I did. And, and since then we've gotten, we have a lot of sponsors now. We got Dr. Jim Roberts sponsoring us. We got, we got Chessable. Uh, we have chess.com sponsoring us. We have a lot of, people who are helping us now. Um, but yeah. What is the selection process? The selection for? process is interesting. Um, it depends. Like we kind of like, it depends on who the coach is. It depends on who applies. And then I kind of look at the, the names and the, the ratings and the ages and try to figure out like what makes the most sense. Um, so some class, like some camps, we get like a lot of interest from like really strong players. Like we had one camp where four of our students were grandmasters, which is like not normal for a chess camp. But that was because uh, Jacob Agard was coaching and a lot of these kids really wanted to uh, see him in action. So we had grandmasters, international masters as students in the camp. But more common is like we'll have, you know, like let's say like the kids will be young, but the ratings will be like 2000 to 2200 ish. Uh, every now and then we go even younger and it's like 1900 to 2100. And sometimes it's like a little in between like 2200 to 2400. It kind of just depends. Um, you know, we try to, ha- we try to run a good mix of them for younger, older, serious. I mean, everyone's serious, but you know, some, when you're older, you're like 2300 and you're younger, you're maybe like 2000. So you just like a little gap in strength. And we try to like put everyone together in a similar group. What are the age ranges or age limits? There's no limit, honestly, but like, you know, I'm probably the oldest student we've ever had, maybe 18 or 19. Um, the youngest we've ever had, I think, was seven. It was probably Abhimanyu, who is now the youngest grandmaster ever. But yeah, there's just no real limit. Like, like sometimes there'll be a camp with a bunch of younger kids, but sometimes it's nice to throw in like a few older, like more mature, stronger players to like kind of, kind of like for them to learn from and kind of like challenge the younger, younger talented kids. You know? hey, give us some names. Who, who are some of the uh, more prominent names through, through us chess uh, 
ranks who have. I mean, literally every single young player in the last 15 years has been there at camp, um, with almost no exception. Um, I wonder Liang. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's been to like five or uh, six of Hans, them. Hans, Hans Niemann. He's been to about five of them. Um, when he started, he was like a 1900, you know, whippersnapper. <laughs> um, every single one. Uh, like Ray Robson, Jeffrey Zhang, uh, Sam Sevian. And you've already mentioned Abby. Um, like all of them. And who, yeah. and you mentioned uh, Jacob as a coach. Who are some of the other prominent coaches you've had at these camps? Well, we've had Sam, Sam Shanklin's cool because he was He's a coach, but he also was a student at one of our camps. So it's always cool when they go from student to coach. Oh, also Alex Ostrovsky also went from student to coach. Uh, Gregory Kaidanov was the coach in our early days. He hasn't done it in a while, but he was a regular coach. Uh, Avi Friedman has coached a bunch. Um, There's a lot of them. I want to make sure I don't forget people. I've coached a decent number of them. A bunch more people. <laughs> names are like blank. A lot of great coaches, like like Ben Feingold's done some. Uh, John Bartholomew did one. I apologize if I forgot to mention your name. And if you're listening, <laughs> I forgot to mention because we've had like you know at least five or six, seven other coaches. I'm just like blank. And this at the is th- so the school is a it's a nonprofit entity, correct? Yes, it is. So talk about the the funding. How how are you paying coaches? Where's the money coming from? Um, like I mentioned, we have sponsors. Um, I, I mentioned a bunch of them earlier, but do the, do the campers have to pay anything? Oh, well, they have to, they, they don't have to pay for the classes. Uh, and, and in some locations, they don't have to pay for their hotel and room and board. Like St. Louis, whenever we have a camp there, they, they hook us up with like nice lodging and conditions for everyone. But at other camps, usually they'll have to pay for like their travel and lodging but we also hold the camps in relatively big cities where there is a large concentration of strong chess players so like we do them in new york a lot where like half the kids are probably local anyway uh we do them in la san francisco so we get a lot of local kids for those but they never have to pay anything for the the training itself and another entity that you founded was at the time called the U S chess league. It's now known as the pro chess league. Yeah. You know, another, Mm -hmm. you know, major item where nothing existed before and you, you know, created something out of whole cloth. Let's, let's do the same exercise. Talk about, you know, what was the germ of the idea for that? There were other, certainly other chess leagues had been attempted before it. Uh, I I imagine you, you identified some places where you could improve. So I'm, I'm curious to hear about that process. Well, you know, there was this telephone league. I don't know if you know about the telephone league from like the, I I do yeah the late seventies, early eighties. It was before my time, but my dad always talked about it. And I'm like, what the heck, you know, we we can play chess on the internet now. And they had a league back then when you couldn't do that. They had to do all kinds of ridiculous things to, to run this league. So I'm like, I should just put this together. And I just talked to like a few people. Like I got like, Somebody in like San Francisco, I talked to John Donaldson. I talked to my sister for like New York area. Uh, I talked to Pascal Charbonneau in Baltimore. And I just got like three or four people involved from different cities. And they were all like super enthusiastic. So I was like, okay, I should just do this. <laughs> um, like the, the world was ripe for it at the time. And I managed, we managed to get like eight 
cities. So started really nice and small and compact and run it, ran a chess league. Uh, it's totally different than the league looks now, but I think it was really cool thing back then. Right. So what does the pro chess league look like now? Um, I, I, it, oh, it, I now. Mean, it's, now it's, it's, it's the home base for it is chess.com. Correct. Yeah. Um, we're, we're in the middle of like kind of figuring that out. It's going to be really exciting, whatever it is, but it's kind of, it's going through like a transition phase, I guess I could say, but I can't really give too many more details, but I can say the last few seasons we've had, it's become more of a worldwide league with like teams from all over the world, like every country, China, Russia, uh, Germany, England, you know, all of, all the countries. <laughs> um, top players in the world playing. So it used to be more like a U.S. regional type thing. And now, like, you know, we've had Magnus play. We have Hikaru play every every season. Um, Wesley So. Like, basically every top player in the world has played at some time. I almost no exception, honestly. Like, a non-play, uh, Ding Liren play. I don't know who hasn't played. There's probably somebody up there. But I can't quite figure out who it is. And now this, uh, unlike... The U.S. Chess School. This is a for-profit entity, right? I guess that's what you call it. I don't know. Is, can, can something be? Is it either for-profit or non-profit? There's nothing in between. <laughs> okay, then, then it's then it's for-profit. I that yep that that's pretty pretty much it. And and are you so? Then the other question is: Are you turning a profit? Are you, do you have spawn? You know, I don't know. I mean, chess.com knows that. Like they're just right now. Like I'm just paid as the commissioner of the league. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And well, I, I mean, you, you, I know you just said that there's some things coming down the pike that you can't get yeah. away, but do you have any kind of this grand vision of where this might be in 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. Like real big, like real big, huge, <laughs> but it's, it's hard to like, I can't really say too much right now. Okay. Forgive me. Forgive me. No, that that that's okay. I, I I could try the old thing about it. it's just you and me talking. I'll we'll, we'll keep it to myself. But I think I've already told you I was sure, recording sure. this, so <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I probably can't get away with that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let, let's take a a step back again um, and and look at your scholastic career because it it, it was accomplished and. Mm-hmm. It was also at a time when scholastic chess in the United States was a very different animal than it is now. Yeah. Talk a bit about what the difference, you know, these main differences were for you playing coming up in the nineties versus what you see now. Oh, one main difference is back then I was like one of the best. Like I was superstar. And now in my same level, if I if you drop me into the today's like atmosphere, I would be good, but like not there's a lot of people who are like out of this world good right so probably if i was playing then i would also be a little stronger because i would have had access to like some of these resources but the players now the young kids are just insane good like there was nobody that was like in my at least in my era there was nobody it was like just insane like where i just felt like they were like you know because the u.s didn't have like that many like super super superstars back then whereas now we now we do like we have kids who are at the top of the world for their age uh almost every age bracket like we got christopher Yu, he's he's coming up we got abimanyu you know i wonder uh so many of them <laughs> nakamura of course but he was like 10 years after me 
Mm-hmm. And I probably just forgot to list a bunch of others who are like in the top 50, like, like Sam Shanklin's top 30 in the world, right? So they're just everywhere, like superstars now. I, I should mention that uh, as this show airs, so we're recording this the week of the National High School Championship this year. Oh. And this will air uh, or, or this will drop right after its completion. So, um, and of course, that certainly holds a place in your heart since that's one of the, the three that you won. Yo, I wanted to win that so bad. It was like my life dream and it was my last year and my last chance. And it was, thank God I won it. Thank God I won it and the team, the team won it. That was also really important. So for the individual championship, did it come down to a last round game for you or? It did. I had to win and I did. Um, thank goodness. <laughs> my opponent was crying. <laughs> I was winning and they were crying at the board once I had made like the winning. Okay. Play. Well, I was going to ask who your opponent was, but now I won't. No, well, he, I mean, whatever. He was, he was much, much younger than me at the time. He was a ninth grader and I was a 12th grader. So I, I can see why that would happen. It's like a really emotional thing playing those last round games. You have all these dreams of being world, or, you know, being the champion yeah. and it's just one game. And, you know, he could have beat me on a different day. Just on this day, I happened to happen to win the game. And being a ninth grader doesn't have anything to do with it because I'm 57 and I'll cry after a game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, I guess another uh, real key difference is not just that there weren't as many top players, that the bench wasn't as deep. You know, and now it feels like you know, anybody Gosh, in the yeah. you know, top 20, top 30 it, uh, could win on any given day. In, in like a, the high school championship, for example. Yeah. Right, I mean, there's just right. so many masters now, like so many that are like 13 years old, 14 year old masters. Like I was a master at 14 and I was, I think when I got that rating, I was second in the country. Uh, and I think if you took my rating now and, and looked at the list, it would probably be like 15th or something like that. And at, at that time, uh, when you were, you know, you completed your high school career. Were you thinking that you wanted to become a professional chess player? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Why not? That seems fun. Were you actively, were you actively pursuing a GM title? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I got the uh, Sanford fellowship. I got a GM norm. Um, I got a little, little distracted by poker, hmm. a little distracted. But not while you were using the, the Samford money, right? Uh, no, I was like near the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah no. um, you know, so this is actually something that I've, I've never heard anyone discuss. So this could be interesting is, you know, how did you spend that Samford year? Do you use the money to, you know, to study full time with coaches uh, or to, or was it? Uh, you know, I traveled to tournaments. I would, I would hire coaches and stuff. You know, what's funny about it is I think, you know, I was young. I was like 19 or something like 19 year olds are basically idiots. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with this money. I mean, I did just like, I get some lessons. I go play some tournaments, but I feel like I would use it better when I was, if I was older, maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know, I should have become a grandmaster. Like I probably should have become one. Um, because like I had the skill and the talent, um, I just kind of got a little, I guess a little distracted, but yeah, you know, I would travel. I would play I played in like ground again. I, I would, they would run like a round robin tournaments that cost like a fee to enter. I would play in a lot of those. I would, I would get lessons with Kaidana. I'd like go to like Kentucky and train with him for a week. I got lessons with Dovreski before. So that was fun. And you were 
one of so 19 is when you got the Sanford Fellowship, and it wasn't too much later that you were elected to the executive board at U.S. Chess at the age of 26. You know, w- one thing the govern uh, governance committees are always talking about: let's get young blood mm-hmm. into our um, governance structure, and it, it's a it's a tough ask, it's a tough get. You were one of the rare young bloods that got involved. What what was the reason that you? decided you wanted to get involved in the sometimes vicious world of U.S. chess politics. I mean, I, will, I don't know about vicious because, like, I didn't care. <laughs> nothing nothing bad could happen, really. Um, I don't know. I'm very idealistic, I guess, at the time. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, hard to get much done. There's a lot of, I don't know, what politics, is that what they're called? Or just people would talk about annoying things that didn't matter. Um, and we have to like consider things that I didn't think were necessary. Like, like there's, I, I can give a story. There was this one case of like this guy for FIDE. I don't remember his name. Vega. <laughs> was there, there was a guy who came to talk to us, and like at the time, FIDE was like super corrupt. Like, like right now, FIDE, you know, they're not perfect. They do some weird things sometimes, but for the most part, they seem like they're doing decently i'm not like they're at the probably the high mark that they've been at in my entire lifetime but back then fide was just like they had like crooks you know like they had like vice presidents who were just like doing shady things all over the place oh kirsan was like running organization giant criminal (laughs) um and then we had this guy come talk to us and you know like i'm like why should we listen to anything this guy says he's like completely corrupt um, and like, they kind of told me, yeah, but like, they're going to win the election. So we should kind of back them. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed ridiculous. The whole thing, like to just back the guy that we know is corrupt because we know they're going to win. And if we don't do that, they're going to like, maybe like not give us some little extra resource. Just the whole thing seemed ridiculous to me. Okay. So there's at least one thing that I think you were passionate about then. And, uh, cause I went back and I looked at our email history because you were you were on that executive board when I was hired. Um, yeah, and I remember that. Your first email to me was that you were very anxious to talk about Chess Life magazine and improving it. Oh, and you had a well, you did you that. A lot of ideas about it. Um, so um, <laughs> just uh, ho- hopefully, it, it it became kind of what you were hoping it would become. Oh yeah, it got better. I, I can't remember what my ideas were, what I would, what problems I had with it. I mean, it was like what, fifteen, twenty years ago? Uh, yeah, fifteen uh, years ago. Yeah. yeah, fifteen. Yeah. What did I say? I honestly. What did I, I want I, you to do? Yeah, I, I don't remember. Uh, I think we must have talked on the phone because the mm-hmm. email was just that you wanted to talk, and we scheduled a call. Oh, okay. Okay. So. Yeah, I don't know. I like just life. Fun magazine. Oh yeah, well it's 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 great now under John Hartman's um, editorship. So mm-hmm. uh, where you know it, it's become much more chess focused because uh, I I certainly had more of a uh, human interest focus and okay he likes more of the hard chess and it seems to be a very popular view. I like it all. I like it all. A, a healthy balance is is good, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of brings me to something else I've been really interested to talk to you about. And that is your fitness regime. Um, so oh. 
You want me to do something right now? <laughs> well, I think most of our listeners are going to be uh, listening and not watching the video on YouTube. However, okay, listeners, okay. maybe we, we, we may have something special for you on, on that score. But um, your, you, it's CrossFit it's, is where you focus your energies, right? Yes. But um, CrossFit is a kind of thing where it lo- allows you to kind of do other things. Pretty Like, like I could run if I had to. Like a, mm-hmm. I could run a half marathon tomorrow and be like, fine. Um, because CrossFit kind of trains you for stuff like that. So uh, for any, I, I'm sure we have a lot of people who have no idea or have never heard of CrossFit. So talk a little bit about that. And then I want to get into how hit getting into top level shape has helped your chess game. Um, so... Yeah, CrossFit is like a combination of like weightlifting, strength training, cardio, and like kind of gymnastics, body weight, calisthenics type things. So one thing that CrossFit tries to do is make sure that you're balanced. It's not just one thing, um, but it's and they take the strength real seriously. Like if you go to other places, like like Orange Theory, I don't know if people know what Orange Theory is. I actually think Orange Theory is great. But, and they call it strength training, but it's like, it's not really like a lot of these places you do like these little baby weights and they call it strength training, but CrossFit, like strength training is like real heavy stuff. Like you're, you're not, they're not messing around. Um, so I, I don't know why I'm saying this part, but yeah, it's like just a combination of everything. And some things I'm better at, some things I'm, I'm less good at, but it, it kind of keeps you prepared for, for all aspects of fitness. Uh, every day is like different because of that. So like you'll do totally different, varied types of workouts on a given day. Um, and some days I'm going to go in and I know I'm going to do pretty good. And some days I'm like, Oh my, like, oh my God, I'm terrible at this, but you know, I go in anyway, because it's, it's fun. It's good to do stuff. You're not great at. Right. And have you noticed that this it, it's helped your chess game in any way, just because it's, it's easier to sit at the board for a long time. Or- well, it's the problem is I, haven't my chess career over the board hasn't really coincided with my CrossFit career. So there's no way to test that. It's possible that it has, but actually the thing, you know, one problem is, is like CrossFit is so important to me that it makes me not want to play in chess tournaments because it's hard to do, but it's hard to like play, especially in the U S when you're playing two games a day, like where do you work out? When am I going to, do my fitness when I'm going to eat decently. So it's like, it's almost makes me not want to play chess. Cause I, I really feel like a healthy lifestyle and a healthy schedule every day is important. And a lot of us chess tournaments don't have that. Some do. And I think they're getting better. Um, like I, the time control is getting a little faster if I'm not mistaken. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, which is definitely helpful because it's like much more humane for, you know, just living a normal lifestyle. So I'm, I'm excited to see that change, like starting to finally happen. And is this something that you got from your father as well? Because my understanding is your father was a triathlete. He was, he did the Ironman in Hawaii, uh, which is 26 miles. Well, it was a two, like two point something mile. 2.3. Swim. 2.3. Yeah. Mile swim, hundred, like 12 mile bike, and then a marathon at the end of it. Um, I didn't get it from him, actually. I, I never worked out really until I was 33. And then I found CrossFit and I was like, oh, this is cool. I like it. But I think it helps. I think everything kind of helps in all areas of life. Like, um, I, I do think it's helped my chest a little bit, but there's no way for me to prove it. Because, like, when I play online now, I'm still, like, pretty much at my peak. 
like my online ratings as good as it's ever been. So I'm, I was actually wondering if you kind of stopped your over the board chess at the same time you started CrossFit, because it seems to me from following you on Facebook uh, that it was about seven or eight years ago. And I noticed that your last over the board tournament was in 2015. Do they, does, do these coincide? I think it's kind of, when I played in two, when I played in 2015. I think the last tournament I saw you in was the uh, Marshall uh, Master. Uh, what are the Masters events? Oh, just that's a, that's not even over the. That's like I show up at 7 p.m. and I play four games that night. I won the tournament though, right? I'm sorry, I don't remember. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> I tied. I think, but I, I did win. Um, I think it's a coincidence, honestly. And what about the nutrition aspect? Do you do you have a nutrition, what you might call regime as well? Not really. I mean, I, there was a time when I ate really well. Now I'm kind of like in between. Like I don't eat terrible, but I don't eat great. Like I don't drink ever, but that's I never drank. But I do eat like sweets, right? So if I was a little more serious about CrossFit, I would eat a little bit better, but I don't. And another aspect of this that I find interesting is certainly when I was growing up, the, you know, the idea of a, a, a pasty looking, no sunlight, skinny, 98 pound weakling playing chess <laughs> was almost a deserved stereotype, but that's really gone away. Oh, yeah. It seems like most people, the kids coming up now have a much more rounded life. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. So yeah. what you're doing isn't as unusual as it might've been say 20 years ago. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah. I mean, a lot of kids are like, look at Magnus. He's in good shape, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, a lot of these, everyone takes fitness. Almost everyone at the top takes some level of fitness seriously. You know, like Sam Shanklin's always running and going to the gym. Uh, talk a bit about your streaming and online chest life. Sure. Well, I used to stream. I, I don't really, I haven't really streamed in about a year or two, but I, what, what do you mean by online chess life? Like playing online? Playing online. I mean, we've already, certainly we've talked about the Pro Chess League and that's an, an online entity, but you you often appear on other people's uh, streams and YouTube videos. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I've done that before. Um, one thing I'm, I'm thinking, one thing I always think about chess is like when you compare chess and CrossFit, I know this is not exactly what you asked, but one great, great thing that I'm so thankful for when it comes to chess is that like, this is something I can literally do for the rest of my life. Like when I'm 80, 90, I mean, I probably can still play, right. I'll maybe a little weaker, but like, it's a beautiful game. It's something that keeps your mind sharp and fresh forever. And that's like really good hobby to have, you know, like sometimes I see like pro basketball players or whatever. And then like, it must be a little tough, right. When suddenly they, they can't, quite do the thing that they've done their whole life and chess you can do it forever and it's a beautiful game and it's it just like it fires all the synapses and it feels good when you like find a nice little tactic in a game um i don't know i was thinking about this today so that's why i'm <laughs> i think about it a lot actually but hobbies that you can you know you can do for the rest of your life i think are really really valuable and i think there's been like studies that it helps like against stuff like alzheimer's and stuff like that um so playing chess online you know like it's i think it's just a great a great thing to have that you can just do and, and feel good 
sometimes you don't feel good when you play terribly. But Let me give a quick plug for something that we are doing at U.S. Chess. Um, we, we are partnering with the Alzheimer's Association for their longest day oh. um, uh, initiative. And there are, if you are in a U.S. Chess affiliate, um, there, there's a way of setting up a team and a fundraiser, and there's various things that we are doing at U.S. Chess to promote it. Um, if you don't, if you're interested in that information, just write me at dlucas at uschess.org and I will get you that info. I'll also link to it on the show notes. So you just made me think about that as you mentioned Alzheimer's there, Greg. Oh yeah. Um, so Greg, another, probably the thing people often think about you that know you is you are opinionated. So <laughs> what, t- tell us what do you think needs to be fixed in the chess world? What's wrong with it right now? I'm still opinionated, but I'm a little quieter these days. You know? <laughs> um, I'm going to be honest. Okay. I, I do have one thing, but it's not quite about the chess world. Number one, I think the chess world is doing really a lot of good things. Like kind of all the things I've wanted it to do, it's been slowly doing throughout the years. And it's just like, we're in the middle of a chess boom, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You might know more than me, but it's especially online. It seems like just the, the chess world is exploding. Like somebody like Levy. Oh, well, we called it a golden age of chess on a cover, yeah, chess mean, life cover story. It's like this guy got like Gotham chess, right? Like I'm going to some party in Vancouver and just random kids who don't even have a chess rating. They know Gotham chess. They're like, do you know Gotham? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's, that's really good. We got the Queens gambit. So like chess, is just doing really well from all directions. Um, I, I am very, very optimistic about the future and I'm very pleased with the way it's going, which is not my, this has not been my usual story over the last like five to 10 years, but that's kind of the way it's going now. Um, one thing I do think I've been thinking about this a lot recently um, is kind of like the, the focus on chess skill as opposed to like other things you do with chess and just kind of like loving chess because like there's a lot of obsession with ratings and how good somebody is um there's a lot of even and even players themselves they're like obsessed with getting better um which is fine it's, it's good to get better but you know i don't know sometimes like these books like you can just enjoy them without worrying about whether it will make you a better chess player. But I feel like the big focus for almost every chess book is, will it make you better at chess? Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, chess opening books are, you know, by far the, the best sellers. Um, yeah. but, but chess is a beautiful game. Right. right. It's and just it, like, there's, there's a big tent that uh, can encompass lots of different ways of enjoying the game. I, I think of a Christopher Yu who, mm-hmm. you know, is, is, uh, not only you know on the on the road to GM, but is loves okay. doing puzzles and com- compositions and and, yeah. and such. Um, and you know, I'm Puzzle a member of a, the uh, chess book collectors group on Facebook, which is a huge, very active group. You know, it includes people um, such as you know e- even Nigel Schwartz, a, a member and a participating member of of that group. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's there's all sorts of of ways to 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 love chess. Yeah. Besides, besides rating. Yeah. Like I, I think there's just something about chess and chess history and all the tactics and combinations and the storylines. It's just like kind of beautiful and it can be in people who just enjoy it and don't like have any interest in like improving really. I feel like 
that's totally cool. And also there's a lot of players who are doing a lot for chess who aren't like top 10 in the world, top 20 in the world. And those people, I think they're getting their due pretty much, but like, and I know, I, I know my sister also feels strongly about this topic. Is it like your chess, whatever you want to call it, your impact on chess isn't always, it, it's usually not based on your rating. It's based on like so many factors. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to leave you with a more introspective question and that's oh, okay. what has chess meant to you in your life? Oh man, it's been the best. <laughs> I mean, I've lived a very good life because you know, for basically all of it, I've been able to do what I want to do and what I love to do. And that all started with chess. There was like a little poker phase in the middle, but it all began with chess. I mean, you can imagine when I'm like 19 years old and I'm getting, I'm getting paid to play a game. Um, that, that does something to your like level of confidence that like, you know, you don't have to kind of play by the, the rules of, um, life that everyone expects you don't have to go to school and become a lawyer or a doctor you can kind of just do the thing you love um so to live a life where i've gotten to like kind of build my life around something that's just so much fun and so exhilarating and fulfills me every day um i can't i can't say enough about how lucky it feels and how thankful i am that i've you know been introduced to chess and is that answer? <laughs> Just, it's been really great for, for me, for my confidence as a young kid too. Cause like you to know that you're really like, to know that there's something you're like good at, like at the level that I was good. At. I didn't have to be as good as I was, but like to be as good as I was, it like gives you some kind of confidence. That's not easy to replicate in other ways. Um, so it's just in every imaginable way, it's been great for me. Well, give give the websites. What how if people want to learn more about the US Chess School and the Pro Chess League and, and any other websites you want to give out? Oh, sure. Um yeah, uschessschool.com is for the US Chess School. The Pro Chess League, you're gonna have to wait a bit, but like we're we're run by chess.com. So chess.com, of course. Amazing website. I mean, what they've done for chess over the last few years is like immeasurable. Um they've just kind of like a lot of a lot of people and organizations around the world have kind of all stepped up to the plate to, you know, elevate the chess world and chess.com is one of those main ones. And I'm so happy to be partnering with them for the pro chess league. Um, I, I like, ch- you know, chessable is a really cool site. If you're into chess openings, um, there was a phase early in the pandemic where I was just obsessed every day chessable. I've, <laughs> I've slipped on that. So my openings, my openings are a little rustier than they were a year ago, but it's okay. Okay. Well, International Master Greg Shahadi, thank you for joining us on this April edition of One Move at a Time. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Great. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on this edition of One Move at a Time, which always drops on the second Tuesday of each month. Our theme music was composed by National Master Alex King of Memphis, Tennessee. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Our sister podcasts at US Chess are Cover Stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, 
Ladies' Night, hosted by Women's Program Director Jennifer Shahadi on the third Tuesday of each month, and on the fourth Tuesday, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant National Events Director, Pete Karianis. I hope that you have learned something of value that you can now use to help build chess in your own community. We'll be back next month with another Chess World personality who is helping us advance our mission statement to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess.